Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Amen. Well, let's get, um, let's get ready for the word. So we're going to have Zach Sloan. He's going to share the word. And our summer series is the uh, first book of John. And as a pastoral staff, we're sitting down and trying to figure out how we're going to outline this. And it's a really hard book to outline and structure. And it's actually a really hard book if you don't understand the context because you could go, it's like a roller coaster. I'm loved by God. Oh, my God, I'm sinning. I'm loved by God. Oh, my gosh, I hate my brother. Anyways, it can take you on a roller coaster ride. And we're really looking to unpack First John and leave you with a sense of confidence that you are loved by God and that you love one another. Amen? So, Zach, bring us the word. Amen? Good morning. All right, so we'll, uh, we'll try not to do that roller coaster ride today. We'll try and make some sense of some things, hopefully. But uh, like Pastor Cheryl said, it's a, it's a weird book. It really is. It, it says some stuff in this book. And uh, today is a little bit different sermon. We're going to go like verse by verse, line by line, you know, precept upon precept. We're going to do it that way today. And uh, so, yeah, a lot to say, really a lot to say. And and like like Pastor Shell said, confusing book, funny things in it. So, for example, 1 John 3 verse 9, it says that whoever's born of God cannot sin. Like you cannot sin. That's crazy. Like what does that mean? What are you talking about? Later on in the book, he talks, about, uh, he talks about two different kinds of sin. He says, you know, there's a sin that leads to death. There's a sin that doesn't lead to death, but the sin that leads to death, I don't want you to pray about. And you're just like, what? What are, what are you talking about, guy? So, I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's good stuff. But to make sense of the book, uh, you really need to, uh, you need to have some context. So that's what Pastor Carl helped us out with last week. He, uh, and, and John does. In the first four verses, uh, he actually tells you what the purpose of his writing is. So uh, he, he says this in the first four verses. He's like, I want you to know that Jesus was God manifest. The word of life was made manifest. Uh, so in, in Hebrews 1, for example, it says that in various times, in various ways, God spoke to us. He spoke to us through the prophets. He spoke to us uh, through all those people you can read about in the Old Testament. But then when, when Jesus comes, Jesus comes on the scene, and he comes as the full revelation of who God is. He's not speaking in, in mysteries, and he's not speaking through um, uh, vessels anymore. He's not speaking through people who know about God. He's saying, I am God, and I'm here to set the record straight. So he, he's writing. He says, I want, you to, or I want you to know that I've experienced him. This, uh, this God who became a man, we actually experienced him. So he says, we, we touched him. We, we, we heard him. We saw him. These hands handled. I saw. If he wasn't trying to be irreverent, he might have said something like, we smelled him. And, uh, you know, not to be irreverent, but, you know, imagine Jesus walking down the road and, and, you know, in the hot weather in Israel, he'd probably get a little stinky. They probably smelled him. He probably could have said that too. And, and again, that's not to be weird. That's straight up just to say, hey, Jesus was a real human. He had real experiences. He had a real human life. And that's what he's trying to say. That God became a person. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. Smelled him. Says that we enjoy, so that you can have the same fellowship with that God. That God that became a man, that we interacted with, that we had dinner with. You can experience that same thing with him. You can have the same fellowship with him. And ultimately, the whole book, it's all about you being complete in joy. It's about making you happy. So when you read some of this weird stuff, like we're going to look at something today that says, you know, if you don't keep God's commands, you're a liar. If you say you know him, but you don't keep his commands, you're a liar, and the truth isn't in you. I mean, you can read that and be like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Like, I'm pretty sure I might have done something stupid yesterday. Uh, and he's like, no, 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 we're going to fill you with joy. We got a message that fills you with joy. So there's some context. That's what he wrote for. But another thing that helps you with context is to understand who he's writing to. So uh, the book of John, it's, it's a little bit different. It doesn't say, hey, guess what? To so-and-so. It's, it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, dear question mark. 
But we do know some things about the people that he's writing to. So he's writing to some churches, and here's a couple things going on with that group of people. So 1 John 2.19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. They would have continued with us. None of them were of us. There's a, there's a church that, that is experiencing some sort of uh, rift. There's people that left. There's a church split. There's people, and, and you can imagine the pain. You can imagine the pain in this group of people when they're like, oh my goodness, we, we ate together. We worshiped together. We prayed together. I sat beside you on Sunday, and now you left. And not only did you leave, but you got some crazy ideas, and you took some people with you. Like, that's a, that's a little bit of heartache. That's some stuff going on in this group. He's talking about those who are trying to deceive you. So in the midst of that church rose up people with some really, really crazy ideas. And we also have uh, clues as to what some of those were in that book, too. So there's early forms of a, of a heresy called docetism, where people were basically saying, you know, Jesus, yeah, good guy, not God. God would never, ever take on flesh. God would never die. That's crazy. So when you see Jesus doing all these things uh, that look like God, he's just, he's just a phantom. He's just a ghost. He's just pretending to be God. And that's what these people were talking about. And so John comes out swinging against them. And you're here in a couple of weeks' time, he's like, hey, that's Antichrist. These are, he's, he's not mixing words. He's like, these are Antichrist people who are denying the reality of Jesus and his life and his incarnation. And if you do that then unfortunately the, 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 the death and the benefits of the resurrection can't be applied to you. So there's, a, there's some stuff going on with this group of people, some very specific stuff, very specific issues, very specific ideas that John has in mind when he writes. And it's really important to keep these things in mind because like Pastor Carl said last week, it's written uh, not to you, but it's written for you. It's written to these people who are experiencing these problems, who are dealing with these crazy ideas, but it's not written to you. And if you start to think you know, that it's written to you at certain points, you're going to start to apply to yourself the same things that he's saying applies to those who are saying that Jesus wasn't really God. And if you're here today and you're saying Jesus is God, there's some things in this letter that doesn't apply to you. So it's really good to understand that. It's really important to have that backdrop, like I said, or you're going to be a little bit messed up. And that's particularly true for the first couple of verses we're going to look at today. So if you've got a Bible or, or a phone Bible or something like that, I would today highly recommend that you pull it out and we just kind of go, we're going to go verse by verse through this. And it might be helpful just to look down and look up and, and maybe track along. But First John verses 5 to 10. Now some people, this is an amazing part of scripture. And sometimes I've heard it taught as though it's a prescription for a Christian life. But I have to say, I really don't think that's what it's all about. I think John here is writing and he's giving a recap of the message to people who are already believers, but are contending with these, these false beliefs. I think he's writing to people who are, are not yet Christians. And so you might say, oh my goodness, what's, what the heck? He's writing to a church. How could that be? But then, you know, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt to believe that. I mean, you think about everybody who's here today. You know, there's people here who've been Christians forever. There's people maybe who are just checking it out today. There's people who've been at this church a long time, but who've just started coming to this church. So it's, it's a different audience. There's a lot of different people, a lot of different groups in any audience that you're speaking to. So I think John's just trying to be a good communicator, and I think he's trying to throw out a little bit to everybody. So that's what I think this first, this first little bit is. But we're going to read it, so follow along with your Bible if you want. But it says this. This is the message that we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Well, that's some good stuff. That's some great stuff, but that's some what-the-heck stuff, too. So, I mean, it's kind of confusing. The color doesn't really look that great from here, but I've tried to break it up. There's, there's different clues in the language here where it says, God is light and him is no darkness. So, if we say, he's talking about people who walk in darkness, who lie, who don't practice the truth. If we walk in the light, conditional, you know, if you're a Christian, you're in the light. 
if we walk in the light, people who deceive themselves, people who the truth is not in yet. He's saying, if you confess. So he's, he's talking, and I really, it's really important to get this. He's talking to people, and he's giving a recap of the message, and he's speaking to people who are already Christians. So first interesting point, verse 1, verse 5, it says, this is the message. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, you think about John, you think about the things that Pastor Carl talked about last week, you know, all the different instances of how John interacted with Jesus. He knew him. He was there at, the, at his death. He was there, to, you know, he, he saw the resurrected Jesus. He ate breakfast with him afterwards. He was there at Pentecost. He was an apostle for years. You know, he, 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 we heard last week, he was burned in a, in a thing of oil and didn't, didn't die. He was exiled. He had some life history with Jesus. So this guy, who has all this life history, he says this. He says, this is the message. So I mean, you want to pay attention, right? If anybody is qualified to tell you what the message is, it's probably John. He was there from the beginning. And this is the message. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Amen. Sounds really spiritual, and it's great. But at the same point in time, I'm kind of like, John, what do you mean? You know, it sounds a little Star Wars. God is light. What does that mean? So let's break it down. This is a quote I found from the Bible, uh, Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges trying to describe what it means that God is light. So it says this, No figure borrowed from the material world could give the idea of perfection so clearly and fully as light. Light suggests ubiquity, brightness, happiness, intelligence, truth, purity, holiness. It suggests excellence without limit and without taint. Now listen to this. An excellence whose nature it is to communicate itself and to pervade everything from which it is not of set purpose shut out. Light invades. Light pushes. Light communicates itself. You know, I was going to do a little experiment here where we we're going to turn the lights off and turn the lights back on, but you can do that at home. But you want to get rid of the darkness. What do you do? You turn on the light, right? You want to you want, you want make something dark? You get rid of light. See, there's nothing, uh, nothing really to darkness. It's, it's actually just the absence of light. It's not really a thing. Spiritually speaking, darkness is where God is not. That's it. Light is where God is. God is light. Darkness, where God is not. Straight up, that easy. And Jesus Christ is God's light. John says this in his gospel. John chapter 12, verse 46. He says, I've come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. That's, uh, that's Jesus speaking. John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Some translations say, well, will not stumble around in darkness, and that's... That's what happens in darkness. Uh, straight up, it does. A couple of weeks ago, we were doing a, a, a practice for the young adults worship night, and we had, I don't, e I don't even know, but there was a couple of these lights on, and that was it. The whole room's dark. I'm out in the hallway, and I'm trying to come up to the front to come and pray, and I just come, like, just running in here, basically. I'm, I'm walking fast. I got my head down, and I absolutely smoked that back chair there where Robin's sitting. I just creamed it. I couldn't see anything, and I just... Boom! Like, it wasn't a stub my toe, it was a full-blown spill, and it was dark. And I was like, this is great. Nobody saw that. That's awesome. And then, and then, I hear this little laughing starting up at the sound booth there. Kanisha's up there, saw the whole thing, laughs her heads off, tells everybody it's really embarrassing. You stumble in darkness, you can't see, you don't even know what you stumble over. And sometimes it's not a chair. Sometimes it's a little bit more serious, right? People are stumbling over things that are killing them. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 1, verse 4 to 10. I mean, read it all. It's got some great things in it. But it talks about the true light that's coming into the world. He was in the world. He was that true light that's coming into the, in, into the world, into the darkness. So God is light. There's no darkness at all. Christ is that light. Jesus emphatically said, I am light. Emphatically, it's clear. All the way through John's writings, he says this. And it's really, really, really important to understand this next point. You too are in the light if you are in Christ. 
If you are in Christ, you are in the light. What he's telling you, and he says, if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, he's not trying to say, hey, if you do all these good things called light, if you do righteous stuff that we're going to say is light, if you do that stuff, then you'll walk in the light as he is in the light, then you'll have fellowship, then you'll have cleansing. No, he's trying to say, if you are in Jesus, you have fellowship. If you are in Jesus, you do have cleansing. And Paul said this too. Which is, you know, we should expect that, right? If this is an objective truth from God, you'd think that other people would say it too. Thankfully, Paul does. Ephesians 5, verse, uh, verse 8. There it is. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were darkness, there was a time, but now you are light in the Lord. First Thessalonians 5, 5. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the light, nor, or of the night, or of the darkness. And then there's this great one, Colossians 1, verse 13. God has delivered you from the power of darkness. Some translations say he's translated you. He's picked you up and pulled you out of darkness and plopped you in the light. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 1, 13, it says this, But of God are you in Christ Jesus. God did it. God picked you up when you said yes to him. He picked you up and he placed you in Christ when he did that, when he did that to you, he took you out of darkness and he put you into the light. You didn't do it. God did it. So when he says in 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he's not saying, like I said, if, he, if you do a bunch of good works, you're going to be in the light. No, if you believe in Jesus, you're put in the light straight up. That's it. And that's, a share, that's, a, that's an identity that you can have. And it comes out of a, a shared life. You know, the, uh, it's awesome. There, there's lots of breakthroughs going on in people's lives when people realize their identity in Christ. There's another side of that, too, where you can kind of just be a little shallow with it, and you can kind of treat your identity as a label, where you can just say, hey, this is how God sees me. God sees me as though I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. But it's got to get deeper than that. It's got to get to the point where you realize God sees you that way because that's what you are. You know, you can put a little name tag that says, hello, my name is Zach, but that doesn't make me Zach. You know, you can call me Zach, and that's great, but who I am is something much more than that label. So you need to see yourself. You are one with him. So when it says that you're the righteousness of God in Christ, you are, straight up. John says this too, and I think it's in chapter three, where he's like, now we are the children of God. And he's kind of like, oh my goodness, yeah, we are. Yeah, this isn't just something we're saying to ourselves. This isn't something that God's telling us in order to work up the, the nice emotion in order to get past our sin. You actually are these things. So it's, it's really important. When you're in Christ, you're in the light, right? This is not a test. God's not into testing you in this kind of way. God's into empowering you. If you have a test in your life, if you interpret scriptural verses about tests, uh, at the very least, the only thing that thing's trying to do is help you to see what's already true. God knows what's going on in your world. He wants you to see. So it's not a test. Don't freak out. If you're in the light as he is in the light, if you're in Christ, these are benefits that you have. They're not like carrots in front of you that are trying, God's trying to be like, hey, walk in the light, do nice things, or hey, this is how you walk in the light. When you do a bad thing, go tell everybody about it. That's not walking in the light. Walking in the light is living in Jesus. And then when you're in him, this is what you have. You have fellowship with one another. You're able to be open with one another. That, that word fellowship is, in the Greek, it's koinonia. Now, for me, fellowship is one of those kind of weird churchy words where I've personally seen it used so many times where it's like we get together and we hate it. You know, we, we get together and we do weird things together. Fellowship actually means, koinonia, that you, you have something deep in common. You, you have something uh, together. You have a common union where you get the word communion from. It's actually that word there. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, God has called you into fellowship with his son. You're called into that fellowship. You actually have Jesus in common with the Father. That's ridiculous. That's really, really darn good. It's something much more than just hanging out together. It's recognizing and realizing what I share with George is not our style of pants. 
what we have is G George is much nicer than mine. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, nobody wants to see that. That would be awesome. I cannot get away with that. <laughs> That's awesome, George. When George and I get together, when we work together on Wednesdays, when we do things together, what we have together, first and foremost, is the spirit of Jesus. Right? We, we have something deep. Really, really deep. That's why coming together and worshiping together is such an amazing thing. You know, you might not realize this, but there, there's people in here who perhaps I might not have yet had the privilege of getting to know, but we have something in common so deep. So, so deep. We have the spirit of the living God together inside of us. We are one in Jesus, whether we know each other or not. You can't get deeper than that. Fellowship is yours. Fellowship with God is yours. God has called you to it. He's given it to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the thing about fellowship. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but sometimes something goes like this. You know, you sin. God's grace covers you. You're forgiven. It's all good. You're still going to heaven, but your fellowship with God, your relationship with God's going to suffer. It's going to get messed up. That's also not true. Straight up, you have fellowship with God when you're in the light, when you're in Christ. Now, the fellowship that you have, it might look something like this. Your father saying to you, hey, why are you doing that to yourself? What's going on? You might have a different kind of conversation, but your relationship with him does not suffer. If you think it does, it will but not on God's part, because in your head, you're imposing some sort of limitation and distance between you and God, and you're saying, you're saying, you're saying, God, we need to be on a timeout. Or God, you can't do this in my world right now because I just did X, Y, or Z. And God's like, no, you, the relationship that you have with me is actually the same relationship that Jesus does. That's the fellowship you have with the Father. It's good. You know, we all have our personal relationships with God. But I'll tell you what, the, the personal relationship we you have with God is one of a, 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 as a son, straight up, because the Son of God lives inside of you. That's it. So the blood, another benefit, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all of your unrighteousness. Now, this is, this is the benefit of being in Christ. This isn't a promise. This isn't, this isn't a promise in the sense that if you learn how to do this thing called walking in the light, then he'll cleanse you, and then he'll re-cleanse you and re-cleanse you and re-cleanse you every time you do something wrong. No, if you're already in Christ, the blood of Jesus has cleansed you once and for all. It doesn't cleanse you because you learned how to do something righteous. See, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 to 28, it says this, for Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest who enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now, once, one time, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it's appointed to man once to die, and after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. One time. Bloodshed once. Not reapplied, not re-cleansed in that sense. That cleansing has a one-time, forever benefit and impact in your life. Straight up. The blood of Jesus does away with sin. That word put away in the Hebrew there, it actually means this. It means what's rendered no longer in effect. Literally, no longer having a place. The blood of Jesus does something to you. It doesn't, it doesn't make an angry God happy with you. What it does is it destroys sin. God's always happy with you. He always loves you. He's not upset. He's actually not holding your sins against you or anybody else. That means, like, anybody. Think, think of something you really don't like. Maybe there's a Donald Trump hater. Maybe there's a Hillary, whatever. Something like that. Forgiven. Gone. God does not hold that against him. At all. At all. What happens is your sin is put away, and it no longer has a place in your relationship with God. And that's a one-time thing. See, when it says he's going to cleanse you of your sin, he's not talking about cleansing you of your, your sinning the things that you're constantly doing. Uh, sorry if this is a little bit nerdy, but uh, sometimes you got to be nerdy to get something out of the Bible. 
straight up. When he says sin, he's actually talking about a noun. Sin is a noun. It's not a verb. He's not talking about the things that you're always doing. He's saying there's this thing called sin that has a power in your life. And what Jesus did, what his blood did, is he put, put it away. He took that thing. He took that thing that has power over you out of the way. It now no longer has a place in your world. No longer a place in your life. See, sin, and, and the Apostle John ta- or uh, Paul, he talks this way a little bit too, and he says, you know, uh, hey, that wasn't me. That was the sin dwelling in me. Well, that's weird. Hey, you're just trying to get away with stuff. No, sin is a power. Sin, sin is a thing. It, it, it's something that almost has a life of its own. It's, it, it's a combined power. This is what I, I take. If, if you're really interested in this, uh, a couple months ago, Pastor Carl did a, a fantastic sermon about what is sin. Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, verses 3. It'll tell you a little bit more. Sin's basically an ignorance-induced selfishness that comes out of not seeing God properly, not seeing yourself properly, and not seeing others properly. And it has a power. Now, when you read sin, when you read your sin, most of the time, I'm telling you, in the Old Testament, it's talking about this thing. And the blood of Jesus, it was shed once, and it destroyed this thing called sin once and for all. It's not reapplied every time you do this thing called sinning. It was shed once and it broke this thing called sin. You're free. You're free. If you're in Jesus, the power of sin has been broken off of your life and you're free. It might not feel that way. Sometimes people go through stuff. Sometimes people feel their experience is this. I feel like I'm overcome. I feel like I'm dealing with this power that's just greater than me. Believe the truth. Know the truth. The truth will make you free. Now, verse 8. We're going to move along here. Verse 8. If you're following in your Bible, you're going to keep tracking because there's just so many good ideas in this stuff. It's so good. Verse 8. This is another giveaway that he's actually talking to unbelievers. He's taught, or he, at the very least, he's recapping the message for everybody. So he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, some of the things in the Bible, if you want to make sense of it, it does require, again, a little bit more context. When he says, if we say, that's a dead giveaway that he's using this thing called diatribe. Now, you've probably heard that word, but Nowadays, we understand diatribe to be, if I just stood up here and went off on one about how much I hate a particular soccer team or something like that, that would be a diatribe. I'm just going off on a rant on my own, and that's a diatribe. But back in the day, what a diatribe is, it's a, it's a, form, it's a classical form of communication where what you did is you, you incorporate into your writing or into your speech uh, your opponents, the people that you're arguing against, you incorporate their views, and then you offer a, re- a rebuttal, right? So actually, if you know that, when you look in things like Romans, it makes Romans make a heck of a lot more sense. So he's doing this. If we say, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, most believers, people who he's trying to get, uh, or people who are already in the light, you know that at some point or another you had a problem with sin, right? So he's writing to a group of people. Actually, one of the other things that this group of people was teaching is that because, you know, Jesus wasn't really, you know, real and and his death doesn't really deal with real things in your real life, what you really do with your body doesn't really matter. What The stuff you do, whatever. It's all good. What actually matters is your spirit, what actually matters is, is what's going on in your brain and in your mind. Don't, don't worry about that thing called sin. That doesn't matter at all. But no, John's like, no, sin's a problem. And sin is a problem, right? Sin hurts. Sin kills. Now, there's that crazy idea that God couldn't look upon your sin, in which case Jesus never would have come and he never would have walked amongst us in the first place. God can look upon your sin. God can deal with you when you're in sin. He can do that. He did that. He proved it. Jesus came. He walked amongst us. That idea that God can't tolerate to be in the presence of sin is actually not biblical. It dis, it, it, it's absolutely contrary to the, to the incarnation of Jesus. He came and he walked amongst us. That's an Old Testament idea. God doesn't 
doesn't have a problem coming and dealing with your sin. He doesn't come and have a problem coming and walking amongst people. He was called friend of sinners, right? But sin's a problem, and we need to recognize that it is a problem, because if we don't, we're not going to avail ourselves of a solution. See, there's a strategy to, to help people um, understand that sin's a problem, and you might have seen it downtown. You might have seen it in the park. It's that strategy where you just kind of run up to people, yell at them, and tell them how miserable they are. You, you, you find some Bible verses, and you smack them over the head with it, and you say, don't you know you're a lawbreaker? You do weird stuff like that. But there's another strategy, and I think one that's much more effective that helps people understand sin's a problem. And I, th I think this is what John had in mind. So there's, there's this uh, there's episode in, in Luke, chapter 5, verse 4 to 11. Jesus, he's speaking to a big crowd. Now, this is the first time that Peter actually encounters Jesus. So it says here, it says, Jesus, he's speaking when he was all done. He said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let your nets out for a catch. But Simon answered Jesus and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll let the net down. So Peter's there, and he's basically seen Jesus teach. He's got a big crowd. And Jesus just kind of calls him out. Hey, why don't you go do that? And he's like, can you hear like the skepticism in Peter? He's just kind of like, nah, you're the guy with the crowd, so I guess I'll do it. But whatever, I've been doing this all night, and I caught nothing. But then he lets his, night, his, his net out, and it says they caught a great number of fish. And their net was breaking, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both boats with fish, they began to sink. That's how much the fish came into the boat. And, and Peter saw it. This is what Peter did. This is Peter's response to a miracle from Jesus, blessing him and prospering him. Peter's response is, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Crazy. That's a better way to talk about sin. That's a better way than going, you know, running around and telling everybody how terrible and awful they are. What if, what if people became aware of sin? What if people became aware of the limitation in their life by having a clear picture of what they could be? What if instead of telling them everything that God doesn't want them to be, writing people saying, hey, this is what you should be, God's mad at you because you're not this, what if you had a clear picture of Jesus and a clear encounter with the goodness of God that actually said, hey, this is what you're called to be, this is who you can be? See, that, I think that's what John had in mind. Sin's a problem, but the, the solution to, to, you know, we live in a society where I'm, I'm pretty certain you could go talk to somebody in the mall and be like, hey, what's sin? And they'd be like, what are you talking about? Right? We just, we're kind of past Christianity as a society, to be honest. We're, we're, you can't, you know, you just can't quote a Bible verse to somebody anymore. They haven't been to Sunday school. They don't know it. This thing called sin, well, you're trying to tell me what to do. That's what that is. Go away. What if we, what if we had a picture and, and a revelation of, of Jesus in our society that's so clear, so bright, that people are like, oh my goodness, what the heck? What, what's going on there? That's a better solution for sin. Unless, unless, as Paul said to the Romans, you know, you despise the patience of God, not realizing that it's his kindness that leads people to repentance. Grace, not law, that's the solution to the problem of sin. See, people need to know. They can't run around blaming God for their problems, and I certainly don't want people running around blaming me. I mean, if they did something stupid, they need to know that it's something stupid that they did. But God doesn't condemn. The whole point in that is to say, hey, this is who you can be. This is who you are in Christ. So it's good stuff. It really is. It's good stuff. Sin is an issue. John's trying to say it is. You got to pay attention to it. It is a problem. But, but, here's the solution. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, again, that's not a prescription for your life as a Christian. That's how you get into the light. I hope that makes sense. I'll try and explain that for a little bit. But that, that's not... See, we're, we're not in this cycle with God where what we need to do is, you know, you sin, you confess, you repent, you get born again, again, and then you do it again. Like, I thought this for a while. I was getting born again, 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 every day. Because I thought that I was losing it, you know? And, and then what happens if you, let's say, God forbid, you die, and you have an unconfessed sin in your life? 
Well, then what? What if something goes wrong in your world and you need to avail yourself of the promise of God, but you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I confessed all my sins. Maybe I'm not healed right now because there's sin in my life that I haven't confessed. I know, I'm going to go find somebody who's going to tell me what I did wrong. Somebody's going to pray for me and tell me how awful I am. No, that's just not true at all. This is how you get in Christ. This is not about life in Jesus. You know, when you confess your sins, God's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and that's a one-time deal. He's talking to people outside of Christ who are not in the light, and he's saying, hey, you can get in. It's so easy. This is what you do. Confess your sins. That's it. That's it, and you're in. Now, I'm going to be a dork and geek out again for a second here. Interesting side note. Only a couple times in the Bible after the cross is forgiveness a verb. Is forgiveness that something God does. Usually after the cross in the Bible, forgiveness is something that God gives. So Luke chapter 24, verse 47, it says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name. That's a thing. He's giving you forgiveness. Acts 5.31, him, Jesus, God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Again, it's a noun. It's something God's giving you. But in our case, in John, 1 John 1, verse 9, it's a verb. It's something that God's doing. But that's going to be clear right after this. This, this slide here is going to clear it all up. You probably weren't even confused in the first place. I probably confused you. There it is. There's two words in the New Testament for forgiveness. The first, karizomai. And it means this. It means to bestow a favor unconditionally, to show oneself gracious, kind, benevolent, to grant forgiveness or pardon. It's more of like a, a, an emotional disposition. You know, if you, you came up here right now and you poked me in the eye, and I said, I forgive you, that would be me karizomaiing you not holding a grudge against you. I'd probably be like, that's weird, but I'm not mad, right? The second word is aphiamai. And that word actually means this. It means to lift off and send away your sins. And that's what he's talking about in 1 John 1, 9. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. God doesn't count your sins against you. God doesn't count your sins against the whole world. God has a positive emotional disposition towards everyone in the world. He's forgiven everybody. He's not holding that grudge. He's given grace to the whole world. He's forgiven you. So how, how does he forgive you? What is that act that happens when you confess your sins? When you confess Jesus, the one time deal, but God will take you place you in Christ, and then the power of sin is lifted off and sent away. That word ephemai, that same word, to put away, to send away, listen to this. In, in one of the Gospels, Jesus says, uh, it's wrong for a husband to ephemai his wife, talking about divorce. Is it wrong for a husband to forgive their wife? Absolutely not. We got to. <laughs> She forgives me way more than I forgive her. It's all good. <laughs> a husband should not send away, push away his wife. A I. See, this is not a prescription for Christian living. This is a description of what happens to you when you get placed in Christ. So you're in the light. You're in Jesus. You're in the light. If you're in Jesus, you have fellowship with God, unbroken, unadulterated fellowship with God, the same fellowship that Jesus has with the Father you have. And if that's not your experience, it's because you don't believe it. There's no other reason. Straight up, it's that every single thing has been dealt with and pushed away. Now we're on a journey of renewing our minds and embracing the reality of what he's already done. Thanks. So here's a question for you. No need to yell or anything like that, but do believers need to acquire God's forgiveness every time they sin? No. No, you don't. Do you know where that happened? At the cross. Do you know what's a really good idea if you sin and you know that you've done something stupid? Have a conversation with God about it. Ask for grace. Ask for mercy. You can come boldly before the throne of grace to get that grace and mercy in your time of need. Talk about it. 
he's certainly going to talk to you about it. Not because he's holding it against you, but he wants what's best for you. But he has forgiven you. Imagine you, you, you sin, you do something ugly, something horrible, and you're like, man, I wish I never did that. Do you need to come out from under the power of sin again? Is sin dominating you? No. Why? You're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. You've been picked up, pulled out of your darkness, and placed into the light. You do not need to engage this cycle of sin, confess, repent, in order to get saved again and again, in order to get cleansed again and again. Honestly, that will keep you in bondage to sin. That will perpetuate the thing in your life that you don't like because you're still making it a big deal. Jesus says, God says, make a big deal about the cross. Make a big deal about the power of the blood. Make a big deal that Jesus ended your sin. Don't sit around and be so upset by him. See, you don't reacquire your salvation. You don't get cleansed and re-cleansed and re-cleansed. But even religion, it messes stuff up so much. You know, some of us have been so indoctrinated with bad teaching. It's really hard to get out sometimes. So like even, even the word confession, it'll come up here again too. The, the idea of confession. In the Greek, when he's talking about confession, the word is homo legeo. And what it means this is properly to voice the same conclusion, to agree, to be in full agreement. Confess your sins to God. This is what God says about your sin, and this is what you need to say when you confess your sin. Forgiven. Done. Sent away. It's power broken off of my life. It's not, a, it's not like a personal hate fest where you come to God and you're like, hey, God, oh, man, I suck. I did this and this and this again, and then you tell everybody else about how awful you are. That's not the confession that God's looking for. And if you don't believe John, believe Paul, because he said this. This is the confession you need to make. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him, you will be saved. John and Paul, I think God's speaking to us and saying, hey, there's something going on here. Confess Jesus. Confess the good things that he's done over your life. Say the same thing about your sin that God does. It is done. It is finished. It is all gone. So in these verses, John's saying this. This is Acts paraphrase. Hey, you're either in Christ or you're out. If you're in, this is what happens for you, and this is the benefits that you get. Fellowship with God, cleansing from sin, if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, if you're still out, don't lie. Don't, don't deceive yourself. Don't say everything's okay. But this is how you get in. Just say the same thing about your sin that God does. That easy. He's really, really, really lowered the bar so, so low. It, it, it's really meant to be really, really, really easy because he actually is the power of your life. He actually becomes your life. This Christian life, it's not this weird thing that you need to attain to. It's, it's actually the journey of learning how to live by the life of another. So Paul says, Galatians 2.20, he says, the life that I live, I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. But that life of faith is, is, is he's no longer living. Christ is living in him. You need to learn how to live by the life of another. Now, if you're following along in your Bibles again, verse 10, just like just one more time in order to re reiterate and combat these crazy false teachers that John's dealing with, he says again in 1 John 1, verse 10, he says, If we claim we've not sinned, we made him a liar, and his truth or his word is not in us. Then thankfully, he turns a corner. He's, he's, he's recapped the gospel. He said, here it is. This is how you get in. This is what it looks like when you're in. And then he turns the corner, 1 John verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, when he says this. He says, my dear children. He's talking to some different people now. He's saying, my dear children, those who've embraced Jesus, people who do believe, who are in the light, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. My little children. Can you hear him? He's, he's got a heart of a father. I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. Now, you could read that like this. You could say, my dear children, with that nice, super affectionate tone, or you could be like, my dear children, my children, I'm writing you this and I'm warning you 
now that I've written you these instructions, do not sin. I'm writing this to you. I'm warning you. I've spelled out the gospel for you so clearly. Let's proof text to Hebrews, some bit of Hebrews, where it says, hey, if you've willfully sinned after you've received the knowledge of the truth, you're, you're in deep trouble. You could read it like that. You really could. But I don't think that's what he's saying here at all. I think what he's saying is, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin because the message that you're in him and have fellowship with him, forgiveness, the message that your sins have been sent away in, the power of them has broken off your life, that message in itself is so creative. It has the recreative power of God in it. It has the power inherent in it to make you free. Just like he wrote that Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You know, we got to decide at some point. Jesus said, be careful how you hear. So we got to decide when we hear the word of God and we hear the gospel. I think, just me speaking, but I think you, you got two decisions. You have to decide. The gospel even either has its own power in it. It has the power to set you free. It has the power of God inherent within it to bring transformation, healing, and salvation to your life. Or the gospel is a call for you to work up your own strength and effort. But it can't be both. In fact, there's a lot of Christianity that's really messed up um, because it, it, it's trying to make both work successfully. Now, hear, hear this. Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Faith comes. The message has a power in it. So he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. So you can hear the word of God, you can hear the gospel, and you can sit there trying to drum up your faith, trying to make a response. Or you can sit there and say, I'm hearing and I believe there's power. There's impartation right now. There's power coming through the proclamation of God's word. He watches over it to make sure that it accomplishes what he sends it to do because there's power in it. You know, you're, you're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God because when you hear that word and you let it come in, it has a recreative power. The gospel, the message that he's writing, you're in Christ. You're in the light. You have fellowship. Enjoy it. You have cleansing once and for all because you're in Christ. If you embrace that gospel and that gospel alone, John's saying, you will not sin. He's saying that gospel has the power. Now that sounds really, really out there. That sounds like, oh my goodness, John doesn't know me. But I think he might flip the script and say, we need to really get to know the gospel. We really need to get to know the power inherent within it. We need to believe it. See, there's a lot of things in, in, in 1 John where he's going to say, again, some more outrageous things. Like, you can't sin. You know, if you break his commandments, you're a liar. Those aren't things where he's trying to trip you up. He's trying to lift your eyes to believe that the power of God is inherent within his word and the gospel itself to transform you and make you so that you do these things. He's trying to lift your eyes a little bit. He's trying to get you to believe Believe the gospel. Believe there's a transforming power. Believe it. And basically, by believing it, oh, I hope I believe, I hope I believe, I hope I believe, recognize that it's true. See yourself in Jesus. So he's writing this to you. He says, so I'm writing this to you so that, I don't sin, so that you don't sin, so that you'll believe. You'll know the message here. It's powerful enough to keep you from sin. But if you do, if you do sin, if you who are in the light, who are in Christ Jesus, do successfully manage to act like darkness, if you successfully manage to act like a child of the devil, even though you're a child of God, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, this, this is absolutely beautiful. Coming up. There. Sorry, guys. Advocate. In the Greek, that word parakletos. It can mean a legal advocate like a lawyer. So you have a lawyer with the Father. So you, you can read it like this. You can read it to say, if you do manage to sin, even though I told you everything good and lovely and wonderful about who you are in Christ, if you do manage to sin, don't worry. Jesus is arguing your case in the courts of heaven, and he, I think he's good at his job, so he is going to be able to successfully convince the Father to not get you for that thing that you just did. I mean, after all, I just explained the whole gospel to you, and you still sinned? What the heck? Good thing Jesus is a good lawyer. I mean, you can read it like that. Like he's trying to convince God not to get you after you've sinned. But you can also read it like this. It actually legit also means comforter or helper. 
One of the funny things about Bible translation and learning different words and language and stuff like that is you can't escape your filter. You, you really can't. You need to see God. Uh, how you see God is going to impact how you read his word, which is why I really like doing these, uh, these, these books of the Bible in the summer because it doesn't just like add like strength to you. Like When you go over one verse after one verse, it, it kind of helps you to re-engage your relationship with the Bible and, and, and learn and, and read it a little bit differently. So keep that in mind over the summer. You can legit read this. You have an advocate with the Father. You have a comforter or a helper with the Father. That word with, again, a little bit different than uh, English. It actually means moving towards a destination. So you can read it like this. When we sin, when we act like darkness, even though we are light, when we act like a child of the devil, even though we're a child of God, our advocate, our helper, moves us towards the Father to help us see that even though we acted like a child of the devil, we're still a child of God. Even though we acted like darkness, we're still a child of the light. The father of lights. Your light. He's the father of lights. We heard that today. And the one that does this, this is the beautiful thing, the one that moves you towards the Father to help you to understand, even though you, you got that wrong, you acted like darkness, but you're still light. That one, the one that does that, it says he is the one who is himself the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. And we know that this Jesus, we know that he's able to act as a comforter and a helper because we see him as the atonement, the atoning sacrifice. We see him as, the, this is what this means, the at-one-ment between God and man. An at-one-ment, a making of one between God and man that required him to offer up his own body as a sacrifice. Not to appease an angry God who hates us and can't stand our sin, but to take sin into his own body, bring it into death, and destroy its power off of you forever. That's really good news. See, John's writing to help you know that you're in Christ. What it means for you. How you can get in him. He's writing to tell you, hey, the message, is, it has enough power in it to make you not sin, but then if you do... If you do, Jesus, whose very being screams our at one with God, is there to help redirect your focus to the Father and reassure you that you're still a child of light. You're not in and out. You're not hopping in and out of light and darkness. And it's not dependent on your performance. It's because he is the light and you have been placed in him. Now, I called this really good news, because it's actually really, really, really darn good news, and it gets even better. He says this in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. And later on in verse 6, it says, uh, whoever says that they abide in him must live as he lived. That's good news, too. That's actually really, really, really good news. But I you know, you would be forgiven, like I said, about this book. It says some confusing stuff. Now, you might be thinking, how is that good news? If I say I know him and I don't keep his commandments, I'm a liar. Uh-oh. You know, has anybody feel like they might have done something in the last, say, week that isn't Christ-like? Said something, thought something? I think I did. When England got knocked out, I was pretty upset. Man, they were not good at all. Here's the thing. John clears this up for us. When you think about, well, what commandment? What's he talking about? Here it is. Don't get confused here. And this is why it's really important to know some context, who he's talking to and what he's talking about. He says this later on in the book in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, and he says, he clears it up for you. He says, this is his commandment, that we believe in Jesus Christ, his son, and that we love one another. See, he's writing to simplify your life, actually, and help you get free from religious craziness. If you want to know whether you're obeying the commands of God, don't look in Leviticus. You're going to feel condemnation for the clothes that you're wearing, the food that you're eating. It's going to be horrible. God says, here's the command. You're in light or you're in darkness. Believe Jesus and be in the light. Jesus came into the world and he says, this is the condemnation. Men love darkness rather than light. The condemnation is the rejection of Jesus. It's not, it's not listing and tallying all those different things that they did wrong. That's not it. So he goes on and he says, whoever says, this is verse 4, whoever's reading in their Bible, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, 
So in other words, whoever says I know God but does not believe in Jesus and has embraced some of these crazy ideas that Jesus isn't God, that person's a liar. The truth's not in that person. On the contrary, verse 5, if anyone does obey his word, what word? Believes the truth about his son. Love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know that we're in him. Whoever claims to live, uh, live in Jesus must live just like he did. Now that's a promise. Again, I hope you don't get nervous there. I hope you don't feel pressure to perform. I hear a promise. Be careful how you hear. There's no pressure to perform. There's no, there's no pressure to love in a certain way. There's a power inherent within you to make you love. It's really, really important to get that. See, he's not saying, if I'm really in Christ, I'm never going to do anything wrong. If I'm really in Christ, I'm going to perfectly act like it all the time. And then get you to look at your own life and realize, oh my goodness, I just did something stupid. Darn, I'm not in Christ. Or I was in Christ yesterday and I'm out of Christ today. I'm telling you, if you read these statements as tests and apply themselves apply them to yourself just like that, you're ignoring the reality of the good news that he just talked about in the 11 verses prior. And this is the good news. Here's a summary of what John's saying in these 12 verses. God is light. That light is Jesus. If you are in him, you do have fellowship with him, and his blood does cleanse you once and for all. If you're not in him, don't lie. Don't say you're okay. Instead, instead, just do this. Just say the same things about your sins that God does. And that's this. You're forgiven. Their power is broken and put away. He and then he will forgive you. He will lift the power of sin off of you and send it away. And the way that he does that, the way that that's a verb, the way that that's an action, is he takes you and places you in Christ, in the one that sin has no power over, never has and never will. And then... What's even better than that is that the power, the, the power of this good news, that God is light, that you are in him, it's powerful enough to make you free. If you embrace it, if you believe it, it has the power within it to make you walk like Jesus walked, and you will manifest the complete love of God because it has been completed in you. So we ask ourselves, why, why, does it not, why do I not see complete love in my life? I think it's because we're trying to complete it. We're trying to perfect what God's already done inside of us instead of just chilling out. Believe in him. Letting it flow out of you. Out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. It is good. It's really, really good news. That's it. Just believe. Just believe. All right, let's stand up together, guys. Okay, I hope that was all right. That was kind of a really fast, I feel like I fast talked, went through that pretty quickly, but that's the gospel. It's good news. Eh? It's really, really good news. It's good news for people who, if you're not a Christian, it's good news. If you're a Christian, it's really good news. It's just straight up good news from beginning to end. And the righteousness of God, Paul tells us, is revealed from faith to faith or faith from beginning to end. You want the righteousness of God that you are to manifest more in your life? Faith. Straight up faith. And that's going to be a big key. So he's writing to you to let you know that you're in the light. He's writing to you to let you know that if you're in the light, you have fellowship. You have the cleansing. You have that already. Embrace it and love it. And he's writing to say to you, and maybe there's some people here today, maybe you haven't yet embraced that light. He's saying, hey, it's that easy. It's, it's really this easy. It's like this. Say the same things about your sins that God does. Just like this. It's done. It's forgiven. It's gone. I'm free. Say Jesus is Lord, and that's it. Jesus is Lord of my life now. Not this thing called sin. Not the power of this thing, but Jesus' power in my life. He's taken me into a new realm of existence, really. So here it is. If you're here today... And you've never done that before. If you're here and you've never th thought to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm in Jesus. I want to say the same thing about my sins that God does. I want to be in the light. I want to know that fellowship. I want to have that light. If that's you here today and you've never done that before, I'm going to invite you to do that. Just put up your hand at the count of three. We'll say one, two, three. You just put up your hand. We're going to say a little prayer where we are. We'll all pray together. So everybody, eyes closed, heads bowed. If that's you today, just 
the count of three, just raise up your hand, please. Nice and high so it can be seen. Ready? One, two, three. All right. That's good. If you're here today and you want to know, I mean, you want to know. You want to know that you're in the light. You want to know that the power of sin has been broken off of your life. There's a, there's a team of people who can come to the front, please. They're going to pray with you. If you really want to know this, if you want to have clarity and certainty in your heart, I know I'm in the light. I know that the power of sin is broken off of my life. I'm really believing that you're going to be able to pray with these people and there's an impartation of that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God and you're going to be able to leave here knowing you're a child of God, knowing it. All right, let's pray, everybody. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you with my brothers and sisters, these beautiful people that I have Koinonia fellowship with, even the ones I don't know. We have you in common, Lord, and worship you and bless you, and thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us and for who you've become for us. Lord, I pray that each one of us would know and experience and just know by personal encounter, know by an encounter with the Spirit of God that they're free, absolutely free. Whom the Son says free is free indeed. So Lord, I bless everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.